أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على أشرف الأنبياء وخاتم النبيين وسيد الرسل أجمعين سيدنا ونبينا وحبيب قلوبنا وشفيع نفوسنا أب القاسم المصطفى محمد صلى الله عليه وعلى آله الطيبين الطاهرين المعصومين المكرمين الذين أذهب الله عنهم الرجس وطهرهم تطهيرا I begin in the name of Allah the gracious the most merciful May the peace and the blessings of the Almighty Allah be with and amongst all the prophets and messengers, including the last and the beloved Muhammad and his honorable and purified progeny, respected brothers and sisters. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Today, we gather to commemorate a legend within the history of the religion of Islam, Al-Imam Abu Abdullah Ja'far ibn Muhammad al-Sadiq alayhi salatu wassalam, a man who changed the fate of the religion of Islam forever. One of the most influential individuals within the world today. The legacy of Imam al-Sadiq has outlived his presence until today and for thousands upon thousands of years to come and until the end of time. Not only him, but those affected by him, those who are his students, those who heard him and those who witnessed him, have been able to have a great impact on the world today. But indeed, the religion of Islam has yet to see a personality like Imam Sadiq sallallahu alayhi A man so dedicated to this religion to spread the teachings of this faith. Imam Sadiq who as the father of all the ulama and all the imams and all the scholars. Therefore, whether you are a follower of the madhab of al-imam al-sadiq, the Ja'fari school of thought, or you are a follower of any other madhab, whether imam al-sadiq is directly your imam or he is the imam and the teacher of your Imam, all the Muslims are indebted to him. And today, since I have spoken of this topic previously, and other ulama and other scholars have discussed this extensively, on how is it 
that the founders of the Madahib, the Hanafi and the Maliki Madhabs were the students of Imam al-Sadiq or they were the students of the students of Imam al-Baqir of, of Imam al-Sadiq sallallahu alayhi and how all the Muslims collectively are indebted to his presence today I'm not going to discuss that however I would like to speak of an extremely important era an extremely important period within the history of the religion of Islam and the role in which Imam al-Sadiq took upon himself in that period. A period in which any ordinary individual would have sat home, would have suffered from depression, would have suffered from anxiety, would have probably went into exile, self-isolation, or would have gone into an uprising and soon enough be killed by the tyrants of the time. However, I am here to speak of the genius of Imam al-Sadiq and how he was navigated, his acts were navigated and predetermined and inspired by the Almighty Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the ultimate decision that he made to teach and to revive the Muslim Ummah through ilm and through knowledge. So let us begin to introduce Al-Imam Al-Sadiq very briefly. And let us then arrive at this specific period in the life of Imam Al-Sadiq. And then let us look at the techniques and the methodologies employed by the Imam to teach to develop students and then let us take a look at his students and his legacy and let us look at the impact of Imam Sadiq that exists in the world today. So we do have many topics to discuss within less than one hour and I ask for your undivided attention inshallah to be able to give justice, to try and to give justice to this one hour while we discuss Imam Abu Abdullah Ja'far ibn Muhammad al-Sadiq. Why? Because I feel, first of all, you have to understand that there are hundreds, if not thousands and thousands of books, definitely more than the hundreds, written about the life and the legacy and the impact of Imam al-Sadiq. And if you were to gather Imam al-Sadiq and his students, then they would definitely, be in the, they would definitely exceed the hundreds of thousands. Amongst the most impactful books, I believe, is an encyclopedia uh, gathered and compiled by the late Ayatollah Sayyid Muhammad Kadhim Al-Qazwini Rahimahullah and his son who outlived, outlives the father and is alive until today in the holy city of Qom compiling an encyclopedia known as Mosu'at al-Imam al-Sadiqi that has reached more than 60 volumes. And there, this encyclopedia is dedicated only to the ahadith of Imam al-Sadiq We also have other um, 
books such as Al-Imam Al-Sadiq and Madahib Al-Arba'a. Imam Al-Sadiq and the four schools of thought. How Imam Al-Sadiq had an impact on the four schools of thought, on their Imams, the interaction of Imam Al-Sadiq with them, and a comparative study by, authored by Al-Allama Asad Haider. We also have many other books that have discussed Imam Al-Sadiq um, therefore, we cannot do in, we cannot do justice to the Imam in uh, an hour or fifty minutes to be able to discuss the life and the legacy and the hadith and the companions of Imam Sadiq. That is why I thought, in order for us to really understand and comprehend the impact of Imam of Imam Sadiq. And how Imam Sadiq was inspired by the Almighty Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the role of an Imam, the role of the Khalifa of Rasulullah, that is chosen by the Almighty Allah, purified by Allah, leading with Usma, leading with Tahara. If we wanted to draw this picture to our audience in such a short period of time, I thought the best way is to speak of this specific period. The, the period of turmoil, extreme turmoil, extreme political, um, uh, uh, an extremely politicalized period, and the genius of Imam Sadiq and how he was able to use this period to his advantage. Like I said, this is a period, if you study this period, a person like Imam Sadiq should have been in self-isolation. Should have been, should have gone into exile, should have ran away out of fear, or should have been killed a long time before his departure date, and a long time before his martyrdom. Therefore, let us take a look and examine the life of Imam Sadiq and the method that we discussed. Number one. Al-Imam Sadiq was born in the year 80 or 83 after the Hijrah. And there are two narrations. We don't have to sit and, and examine those hadith one by one. And he died in the year um, 148 after the Hijrah. So that makes the Imam... 65 years old or 68 years old and the period of his imamah to be 34 years. What did the imam do in those 34 years? And, and what did he achieve in those 34 years? It is what we're going to be discussing today. However, you will see that the imam has the greatest number of hadith in our books. If you look at the book of Al-Kafi, if you look at the book of Al-Tahdeeb, or Al-Istibsar, or Man La Yahdaruhu Al-Faqih, our main books, you will find that the greatest amount of ahadith come from Imam Abu Ja'far al-Sadiq, Abu Abdullah, his kunya, his title. Um, and in comparison to the other Imams, he has many, many, many more traditions in our books. And that is why this madhab, the Ja'fari madhab is attributed to him. 
The Shi'i madhab is attributed to him, rightfully attributed to him. Because he has the greatest impact on Shi'i Islam. If we were to say that Shi'i Islam has founders, or Shi'i Islam has the greatest of personalities that have impacted this branch, or have impacted the school of thought, we would say, number one, it would be Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa And number two would be Amir al-Mu'mineen. And number three would be Imam al-Sadiq. Imam, Imam al-Baqir and Imam al-Sadiq, but specifically Imam al-Sadiq sallallahu That is why this madhab is attributed to him and we are considered Ja'fari. His mother was Um Farwa, a woman praised, a woman that is honored by the Ahlul Bayt, especially by her son Imam al-Sadiq. Imam al-Sadiq praises his mother, this honorable mother. Um Farwa had a unique lineage. For many of you listening now, this could be the first time coming across this information, that Um Farwa was the granddaughter of Abu Bakr. Abu Bakr, the first caliph after Rasulullah. And I would like to di distinguish or differentiate brothers and sisters. When we say Abu Bakr the first Khalifa, Umar the second Khalifa, Uthman the third Khalifa, we are doing that for many purposes. Number one, as we're speaking and stating facts in terms of what actually happened publicly to the people and, and within history. But don't misunderstand me and others when they say the first Khalifa or the second Khalifa or the third Khalifa in accepting the fact that they should have been the first Khalifa and they should have been appointed as the first Khalifa. Or Rasulullah left this Ummah without a Khalifa. Or Rasulullah left this Ummah without an Imam. And there was so-called the Shura and the Shura chose those three individuals and put them above Amir al-Mu'mineen or prior to Amir al-Mu'mineen. The principle of being a Shia, the principle of being a follower of the Ahlul Bayt is number one to believe that Amir al-Mu'mineen is the first Khalifa and the first Imam and he is appointed by the Almighty Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, no one else. And number two would be Imam Hassan, and number three would be Imam Hussein, and number uh, four would be Imam Zayn al-Abideen, and so on and so forth. And the second pillar is to reject any other entity, any other person, any other individual, any other group of people who number one would claim to become the Khalifa, or to be the Khalifa, or to stop and to refrain the Imams from taking their rightful position. And that is why the followers of the Ahlul Bayt are referred to as the Rawafid, as the rejectors. Yes, indeed, we reject anyone who stops the Ahlul Bayt, who stands in front of the Ahlul Bayt, who takes the right of the Ahlul Bayt away from them. If that is something that that if that is the reason why we're given this title, then that is a title that we adopt 
We are proud of this title. And more importantly, more importantly, once any Muslim, wallahi, if any Muslim reads the books of the Muslimin, looks into the books of the Muslimin, looks into the history of Islam, looks into the history of the religion of Islam, this would be the only way for any Muslim to be. This is the legacy of not only the followers of the Ahlul Bayt, but this is embedded in the books of all the Imams, Imam al-Bakhari, Imam Muslim, and the rest of the major and most popular books of the Muslims will lead you to knowing that Ali was superior in adala, in justice. He was superior in knowledge. He was superior in the Quran and his companionship to Rasulullah than all the others. And indeed, some of the scholars from the Sunni school of thought, some of our brothers and sisters, some of their ulama have stated this clearly that Amir al-Mu'mineen is superior than the rest. However, the shura and the council chose Abu Bakr. Therefore, knowing that Ali was the a'lam, the most knowledgeable, the a'dal, the most just, knowing that he worshipped no one besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and he was sinless, that is something that many of the scholars within the course of history from the Sunni school of thought have agreed on, agreed upon. This is not what we want to discuss this evening, brothers and sisters. However, what we want to talk about is the lineage of Imam al-Sadiq at this stage. And the lineage of Imam al-Sadiq is traced to Abu Bakr, through whom? Through his mother, Um Farwa. Um Farwa, she was the granddaughter of Abu Bakr from both parents, her, her mother and her father. So from both sides, she would be traced back to the Khalifa Abu Bakr. And I just explained to you what we mean when we say Khalifa Abu Bakr. I said for many reasons. Another reason is to be respectful because whatever we do, whatever we say, however we act, we are accused that we are disrespecting the Sahaba of Rasulullah. We are the ones causing the fitna. We are the ones causing the division. So out of respect, and we will find that how Imam Sadiq taught us this. We are not uh, using some, some innovative methodology or we are not becoming of Ahlul Bid'ah within our madhab to use this uh, 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 method of respecting others. So we use this as a gesture of respect towards the, uh, towards the feelings of the other Muslims and for them to listen and for them to pay attention Indeed, we are the ones that when we refer to Bukhari or when we refer to Muslim and when we refer to Nisa'i or Ibn Bajah or the rest of them, we say Imam because he is an Imam to them. He is an Imam to many people. And similarly, we expect others when they refer to Imam Al-Husayn and Imam Ja'far Al-Sadiq and Imam Al-Baqar and Imam Musa ibn Ja'far and Imam Al-Rida to use the term Imam, but they don't, unfortunately. And at the end of the day, we are accused of people who are disrespectful to the Imams. The majority of the ulama, the Shi'i ulama, when referring to Bukhari, they say Al-Imam Al-Bukhari, including myself. Al-Imam Muslim, Al-Imam Al-Nishaburi, Al-Imam Al-Nisa'i. 
Obviously, we have our own Imams. Our Imam is Ja'far al-Sadiq, and Imam al-Baqir, and Imam al-Kazim, and Imam al-Rida, sallallahu alayhi But when we use the terminology al-Imam, we are being respectful because they are the Imams of certain Muslims. And we're giving them that credit. But in return, for example, we find that Imam al-Bukhari himself does not narrate a single hadith from Imam Ja'far al-Sadiq. The Imam and the founder of Ilm in Medina, he's neglected. He is, they avoid him. There are very few hadith of Imam Sadiq in the other books of the Muslimin. Bukhari completely excommunicates Al Imam Sadiq. Why? That's something that we have to discuss in another time. But today, I know people who speak of Imam al-Sadiq. There are individuals outside the school of Ahlul Bayt, and they are fair, they are respectful. However, even when they refer to Imam al-Sadiq, they don't refer to him as the Imam. And I call upon all of my brothers and sisters within the Sunni school of thought, outside the madhab of Ahlul Bayt, to understand that they should adopt the same methodology of respect that we adopt. And speaking of the Imams, from one end, her her mother, his mother, Um Farwa, from one parent, from her father, she was the daughter of uh, Al Qasim, the son of Muhammad, the son of Abu Bakr. So, Abu Bakr had a son by the name of Muhammad. You all know him. Imam Ali took care of him. He grew up in the house of Imam Amir al Mu'minin. And he was appointed as a governor by Imam Ali, Muhammad ibn Abi Bakr. He had a son by the name of Qasim. And from the other side, she was the son of, she was the daughter, her, her mother was this, the daughter of Asma, the daughter of Abdul Rahman, the son of Abu Bakr. So one is traced to Abdul Rahman, the son of Abu Bakr, from one side. And from one other side, she's traced to Abdul Rahman, the son of Abu Bakr. So from both sides, she goes back to Abu Bakr. Um Farwa. And she was then married to Imam Al-Baqir. And from them, Imam Al-Baqir and Um Farwa, there was Al-Imam Ja'far, Al-Sadiq, Salawatullahi wa Salamu We have a tradition that is mentioned in the books of our Sunni brothers and sisters, mainly outside the school of Ahlul Bayt. However, it is also mentioned by the book of Kashf al Ghumma, Fi Ahwal al A'imma, a book by the name of Kashf al Ghumma that was written in the year 693 after the Hijrah, or the author died in the year 693 after the Hijrah. So almost 700 years after the Hijrah, the author is Al-Allam Al-Arbali. In the intro, Al-Allam Al-Arbali, who was a genius, by the way, and I'm praising him in this moment for doing this and for writing this beautiful book. He says, many people outside the school of Ahl al-Bayt understand the position of Imam Ali, Imam Hassan, Imam Hussein. Even Imam Ali ibn al-Hussein, Zain al-Abideen, those are Imams for all the Muslims. Undoubtedly, undoubtedly, 
the Ahl al-Bayt are a source of inspiration for all the Muslims. Sunni and Shia, Sufi and non-Sufi, those who disrespect and dislike and avoid the Ahl al-Bayt, brothers and sisters, according to all the Muslims, are Nawasib. And the Nawasib are outside the, the, the religion, outside the realm of Islam. They are considered outcasts to the Ummah. They are considered the Khawarij to the Ummah, Al-Nawasib. And they are not considered as the Muslims to be part of the Islamic Ummah. This is not just according to the Madhab of Ahl al-Bayt, but other Madhab as well. Other Madhab, the Imams of other Madhab, consider those who have animosity and hatred towards Rasulullah and the Ahl al-Bayt as the Nawasib. Anyhow, when it comes to Imam Zayn al-Abideen onwards, meaning Imam al-Baqir, Imam al-Sadiq, Imam al-Kadhim, and the rest of the Imams, they are unknown to many Shia even, followers of the Ahl al-Bayt, and to many who are outside the Madhab of Ahl al-Bayt. So, Al-Allama al-Arbali, in his book, Kashf al-Ghummah, in his introduction, he says, I will only use references and sources outside the school of Ahl al-Bayt to determine the life and the legacy of those Imams from the Ahl al-Bayt. And therefore he says, I only follow these. So when he, when a Shi'i scholar, what I'm trying to say, uses this hadith in his book, well, he can't really use any other sources because he has said, I'm only going to use sources outside the school of Ahl al-Bayt. So he won't be able to use sources within the school of Ahl al-Bayt to do this job. Therefore, it's a, it's a hadith that belongs to uh, sources outside the school of Ahl al-Bayt. And it says that Imam al-Sadiq says, وَلَدَنِي أَبُو بَكْرَ مَرَّتَيْنِ Abu Bakr gave birth to me, or I am born due to Abu Bakr's existence twice. And obviously we explained why, through his mother, Um Farwa. Now why would Imam al-Sadiq say this, if he had said this? The scholars have responded. But I would like to take, have my own take on this. A possibility, obviously I don't know, but a possibility of why Imam Sadiq would say something like this is to diffuse the tension, is to repel and to prevent harm. What do I mean? Today, brothers and sisters, the way many Shi'i scholars speak, the way many Sunni scholars speak. This does not prevent bloodshed. This does not prevent animosity. This does not prevent division. This does not prevent hatred. But it entices all those things. Sometimes with, with certain statements, with certain things that we say while we're being smart about them, it can diffuse a lot of problems. And Imam al-Sadiq, brothers and sisters, he taught us taqiyya. And the followers, those who are outside the school of Ahl al-Bayt, please pay attention to what I'm about to say. They always accuse the Shia, oh, the Shia have something called taqiyya, and it means they lie. And we don't know when they're speaking the truth. First of all, many of the principles that Imam al-Sadiq 
created for us are embedded within the aql. So he only taught us to use our aql. And he put a name on that. And he put a title on that. And he said, this belongs to your religion. And our religion and our madhab specifically, aql receives the most important position. And it's given an extremely important position, an extremely important role within the madhab of Ahlul Bayt. The madhab of Ahlul Bayt as a madhab that uses logic and aql and, and, and human intellect and employs this power, this aql that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us. If others decide not to use that, that is their problem. That is the, the decision they get to make. However, in the school of Ahlul Bayt, we have been taught by our Imams to employ the aql. So what is taqiyah? It's part of the instructions of the aql. Taqiyah is used when you know your life is in danger. And you say something that saves your life or the life of other people or creates peace. For example, you have two brothers who are in a fight or taking each other to court who are, who are going on a full-on fight with each other and you're caught in the middle. Maybe you're a third brother. Maybe you're the wives of those individuals, cousins. And one of them comes and says, you know what my brother did and this and this. And he tells you the story. So you listen. You have two options. Telling him, yeah, your other brother was here yesterday. And he said the same thing about you. And he hates you and he dislikes you. And he wants to continue this fight. Even if it's the truth. Or you can say, but your brother loves you. I can see the love in his eyes. Or you can even say he, your brother even said he loves you and he wants to end this problem. This brothers and sisters is allowed to save your life, the life of others and to amend peace if it hurts no one. If it does not create hardship, it does not create deviation. If it does not mislead people, the concept of taqiyah is something that inshallah we get to discuss on a, in another episode. So Imam al-Sadiq, why he said this? Imam al-Sadiq said this not out of taqiyah because there was no fear. He didn't have to say this to save his life. But maybe he had to say this to repel hatred. You see, sometimes when you see uh, things escalating in America against minorities, women leave their house and, and, and if they're wearing hijab, they, they take the hijab off of them. They're, 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 they're thrown out of the work. People are harassing them. And, 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 and you've, you've seen the political uh, 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 situation sometimes going to that extreme where people are afraid to even leave their home, especially after 9-11. We saw a lot of minorities, including Hindus, including Muslims, including Sikh people. They... Uh, for example, we're carrying this, the, 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 the American flag on their vehicle. Now, it's not that they hate America. They all love America. They love America more than others. Because America gave them something other countries, their, their own country didn't give them. However, it is not likely of them to, to just display the flag on their vehicle. You know, this guy's driving around with his little Honda Civic and the flag is, is probably bigger than the windshield. 
Well, it's not really the case. They, they probably did that because they wanted to repel and prevent difficulty for themselves and those who look like them. To say, look, we're, we're also Americans. Don't, don't hate against us. So Imam al-Sadiq not only did that for himself, but for his companions. His companions who lived in predominantly Sunni neighborhoods. They had employers who were Sunni. And some of them, they were brainwashed against the Shia, against Imam al-Sadiq, against the followers of Ahl al-Bayt. So Imam al-Sadiq said this to the few, say, you know what? My grandfather is Abu Bakr. Now Imam al-Sadiq is just stating his lineage. And he can't change his lineage. This does not mean that Abu Bakr, for example, is above Ali. As maybe some people would, would... I don't know how you can get to that conclusion, but some people try to say, well, that's what Imam Sadiq... No, Imam Sadiq is stating his lineage. And by doing so, he's diffusing the tension. He's preventing difficulty. He's preventing a lot of things that could happen wrong within the Muslim community. And we can do the same thing, brothers and sisters. And we have seen our ulama do the same thing for many years. In fact, we have seen from the, the major ulama, the grand scholars, from the time of Buru Jirdi and prior to Buru Jirdi, and until today, our ulama teaching us the same thing that the Ahlul Bayt taught us, not to be disrespectful to others, not to say certain things that are disrespectful to others. So this was his mother, Um Farwa. And I, I will, inshallah, in one episode, speak completely about Um Farwa. And why Imam al-Baqir married her. And the biography of this great woman. But I wanted to make a point, and I wanted to talk about this, because I felt it is an extremely important part of the life of Imam Sadiq. An ignored part of the life of Imam Sadiq. Uh, a part of his life that many people probably didn't even know. And to introduce this topic so that inshallah you get, you start reading on this topic, you start uh, researching on this topic and, and get you ready inshallah to, um, uh, 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 to, to wait inshallah until we discuss on farwa in detail inshallah. Now, he also spent all his time, his entire time with Imam al-Baqir while his father was alive. And this is something very important, brothers and sisters, for you to know. Imam al-Sadiq was the shadow of his father, Imam al-Baqir. The greatest inspiration in the life of Imam al-Sadiq was his father, Imam al-Baqir, He traveled with him. He sat with him. Amongst the most beautiful stories of Imam al-Sadiq and his life with Imam al-Baqir, with his father, is the stories where they would travel together. Sometimes willingly, sometimes no, by force. For example, Hisham ibn Abdul Malik, he forced Imam al-Baqir to travel from Medina to Sham. Medina, which was the base of the Ahlul Bayt, to Damascus, which was the base of the Umawis, Bani Umayyah. And Hisham ibn Abdul Malik was a brutal tyrant of the Umawi, Umawi, Umawis. Brutal. 
So he ordered Imam al-Baqir to come and visit him in Sham. And they, they took Imam al-Baqir and Imam al-Sadiq was with him. They arrived to the palace of Hisham. And amongst the things that Imam al-Sadiq, he tells us about the story, is that Hisham wanted to humiliate Imam al-Baqir. Imam al-Baqir was old. I mean, he was in, 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 in the older part of his life. And Imam al-Baqir, it seems as though he was overweight. And Hisham ibn Abdul Malik wanted to uh, humiliate the Imam, degrade the Imam, insult the Imam. So he took them on a ride. And they say that the, he made the Imam actually walk behind him while he was riding his horse. That he made the Imam walk behind him. And then they reached an area, the Imam was extremely tired, he was sweating. He gave bows and arrows to the Imam, Imam al-Baqir, and he put a target very far away, and Imam al-Baqir could probably have not been seeing very well. He was tired, he was, like I said, older in his years. And he told Imam al-Baqir to shoot the, the arrow to the target. And Imam al-Baqir said, Obviously, if the Imam would have missed the target, he would have been, you know, he would have been ridiculed. And that's exactly what Hisham wanted. Hisham wanted to show that, you know, the Ahl al-Bayt are mostly just knowledge. Excuse me for saying this. He wanted to portray that, you know, they're like nerds. They're, they're not really going to be good in fighting or skills or, 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 or things like that. So Imam al-Baqir said, And Hisham, Hisham said, no. Go ahead. So Imam al-Baqir took the bow and arrow and he shot the target and it went right in the middle. So Hisham was very surprised. And he told him, shoot again. And he shot, and this arrow landed in the previous arrow, and it, it, it split the previous arrow open. And the Imam did that several times. Imam Sadiq says this. Just like when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says to Rasulullah, مَا رَمَيْتَ إِذْ رَمَيْتَ وَلَكِنَّ اللَّهَ عَمَى Allah endorses those arrows. Allah endorses the mu'mineen. Allah endorses the imams of the mu'mineen. Allah endorses the... Prophets and the Mu'mineen according to the Qur'an and the, and those who love him and his awliya and of course Imam al-Baqarah is amongst them. So Hisham said, where did you learn this? And many brothers, many of us, we don't understand that ima the Imams, they had those skills. They weren't people who were just, you know, today this is the life that we create for ourselves. A life on the keyboards, a life behind the wheel, and we try to buy very nice, comfortable, beautiful vehicles, beautiful homes. No, this is not how Imam al-Baqir was. And, and, and we're, we're speaking about Imam al-Baqir now. I could use this example from the life of every single Imam. But since we're speaking of Imam al-Baqir, Imam al-Baqir would dig whales and he would work on his farm and he would know how to ride and he would know how to use the, the bow and arrow and he would be able to fight. And he, though they were active individuals. They were heroes from, from every aspect of life. 
And, and today, we have created a different lifestyle for ourselves. And how those two create a hero, how those two dimensions in our life create a successful person is something I will, inshallah, discuss. I promise you I will discuss this. A successful person is not somebody who's just behind a keyboard or somebody who's just reading or writing or somebody who has no skills and, and, and does not do things with his body, with his physical existence. A person came to Imam al-Baqir, he said to him, while Imam al-Baqir was digging the wells and he was working on his farm and he was sweating, he said to him, what if you die doing this? Wouldn't you be ashamed that you're busy with your dunya versus your akha? He says, no, if I were to die, I would die as a shaheed doing this. And I am doing this to protect myself against people like you. Because I don't want to have handouts from people like you. So they worked for their dunya. And they also had skills, such as the one that we discussed now. So Imam al-Sadiq speaks of all those stories. Of while he traveled with his father. So he says on the way back from Sham to Medina, we went through a city. I forgot the name of the city, unfortunately. And they, they, we saw a huge gathering. A huge gathering of Muslims and non-Muslims. Everybody's sitting and then there is somebody speaking. So we asked, who is this? They said, this is the, the Christian alim, the Christian scholar, who comes every year to debate the Muslims in this city. And he happens to be able to win every debate with every person, including the Muslims. And many Muslims leave the religion of Islam and they go towards Christianity because this person... He's got this power when he speaks of influence and persuasion and he persuades the people and they all become his followers. So many of us watching today or listening today probably think that all oh, this used to happen back then. It doesn't happen today. It happens today, every day. Even if we're not listening to them in terms of religion, in terms of re leaving our faith, which has mostly become ritualistic for now, but we listen to them and everything else. So when you listen and you obey someone, he becomes your imam. And, and inshallah, that's also something else that we have to discuss. What is the, the definition of an imam? An imam in our life. But anyhow, so Imam al-Baqir, Imam al-Sadiq says, Imam al-Baqir went and he sat there and he started debating this person. And he won the debate and he drove the man in a way outside that city where he never returned. This is the role of the Imam. This is the role of the Alam of Al-Muhammad. The ones who people are in need of their ilm and they are not in need of the ilm of others. This is, this is Ahlul Bayt. Read their biography. Whoever you may be. Even Christians have read the biography of Ahl Bayt and they have come with this conclusion. Everybody needed them and needed their ilm and needed their guidance and they needed no one else. They didn't need anyone. Imam al-Sadiq was not the student of others. Imam al-Baqir was not the student of others, but others were his students. Go find me one person that was the, the teacher of Imam al-Sadiq or Imam al-Baqir. This is the, the position of the Ahl al-Bayt within the history of Islam. So he, sp he spent his time with 
his father, Al-Imam Al-Baqir. And one interesting thing about the life of Al-Imam uh, As-Sadiq brothers and sisters is that Imam Al-Baqir allowed him to teach during his lifetime. Usually, usually. We said he was the Imam for uh, 34 years. However, prior to those 34 years, during the time of Imam Baqir, Imam Sadiq was also teaching. And this is something almost unusual. Because the Imam, in the time of his father, or in the case of Imam Hassan and Imam Hussein, in the case of his brother, and in the, in the case of Amir al-Mu'mineen and Rasulullah, they don't speak, they don't, they don't do anything in the time. Because they are the follower of that Imam. They are ma'mum. They are a follower at the time. Imam al-Husayn was the follower of Imam al-Hasan. Amir al-Mu'mineen Imam Ali was the follower of Rasulullah. Similarly, Imam al-Sadiq is the follower of Imam al-Baqir. Imam al-Baqir is the Imam of the time. However, it seems as though he was given a special permission. Begin your teaching. Begin your circles of knowledge. And that is why he taught for many years in the Masjid of Rasulullah, alongside his father while his father was alive, in Masjid Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And he would speak of hadith. And that is how we have so many hadith from Imam al-Sadiq. So many students of Imam al-Sadiq. So much inspiration in the life of Imam al-Sadiq. And he, and, and, and he, this is what I want to speak about now, as the era in which Imam al-Sadiq faced. Brothers and sisters, he, Imam al-Sadiq witnessed the last 16 years of the rule and the governance of Bani Umayyah. And the beginning and the transition of the governance from Bani Umayyah to Bani al-Abbas. And I have spoken about this series. A series called Islam between originality and, dis uh, and distortion. Many of you are familiar with this series. And I have there examined Bani Umayyah and examined Bani al-Abbas and the transition of those. So for further details on what happened, go on and, and look and examine that moment with extreme political turmoil at that time and the Muslim uh, empire and the land of the Muslims where Bani Umayyah were becoming weak, many revolutions and many revolts took place uh, prior to Bani al-Abbas coming into power. For example, Zayd bin Ali ibn al-Husayn, Zayd al-Shaheed, in the year 122 became a martyr. And he was the uncle of Imam al-Sadiq, praised by the Imam, loved by the Imam. He became a martyr, he was killed, and he was crucified for three years. And after three years, they dragged his body down and they burned his body. Allahu Akbar. Look at the brutality of Bani Umayyah. And today you have some Muslims and some followers of the Ahlul Bayt who sit on the member of Rasulullah and Imam Hussein, and they mention others besides Ahlul Bayt, some of them including Bani Umayyah. Allahu Akbar, what a great injustice to the cause of Ahlul Bayt. For people to praise individuals that were the enemies of 
Ahlul Bayt on the member of Ahlul Bayt, most likely not knowing what they're doing. Therefore, Zayd was the first, you know, a, a major occurrence in the life of Imam al-Sadiq and the circumstance uh, surrounding the life of Imam al-Sadiq. You see, the Umawis were losing power, so they were busy with their political situation. The Abbasis were gaining power, the ones from the lineage of Abbas, the uncle of Rasulullah, and they were trying to establish a state, and the Alawis, the Alawis were mainly, the, obviously from the lineage of Imam Ali, but from the, from the children of Muhammad ibn Hanafiya, Muhammad ibn al-Hanafiya, one of the sons of Imam Ali. There were three political groups, one of them were the Alawis, were actually part of the family of Imam Sadiq, so the, the Muslims were those mainly those three groups, and they were all busy with political things. In this period, Imam al-Sadiq, brothers and sisters, if he was somebody driven by emotion, he would have been killed. He would have caught, been caught in, in that turmoil, and he would have been killed and annihilated. Or he would have gone through what I'm, what I, when you study his life, you would, you would, you would believe that Imam al-Sadiq, if he was a normal person, he would just go in exile. He would be depressed. He would suffer from anxiety. Many of the followers of the Ahlul Bayt, many of his family members, many of his own uncle, crucified for three years, killed in such a way, his body was burned. How can you teach? How can you even get out of your home? But Imam al-Sadiq had this role. And then you have Muhammad ibn al-Hasan, or who is known as al-Nafsu al-Zakiyya, who was also a martyr, who was also killed, but he was killed by Bani al-Abbas. So one by Bani Umayyah, one, one, one by Bani al-Abbas. During the Imam of Imam al-Sadiq, and those three fractions of the Muslims, Bani Umayyah, Bani al-Abbas, and the Alawis, and the followers of the Ahlul Bayt caught in this political, extremely politicalized environment, what is the Imam going to do? The Imam decides, like I said, the Imam is inspired by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but what does he do? He teaches. He teaches. He teaches the hadith of Rasulullah. He teaches the Quran. And he then develops the most influential scholars within the religion of Islam, and today, the religion of Islam is indebted to Imam al-Sadiq and his students. Look at this era. Look at this man. What he, what an ordinary person would have done, being caught in that extremely politicalized and, and poisoned time period, but what Imam al-Sadiq chose to do. And in order to continue this process, yes, he did taqiyah. He repelled difficulty and hardship and the killing of his followers and the fact that he was able to continue teaching was because he was able to employ like I said this method of the aql within his life Imam lived in Kufa for two years this is something very important and I wish I had more time to talk about this in the time of Abu al-Abbas al-Saffah, 
the early on Khalifa of the Abbasis, he called the Imam to Kufa. And the Imam lived in Kufa for two years. In those two years, he created 900 scholars, 900 fuqaha. And in this period, he visited Imam al-Hussein. In this period, he visited the shrines of the Ahl al-Bayt in Iraq. In, in this period, we have this legacy from him. Al-Hasan ibn Ali al-Washa' A companion of, I believe, Imam uh, Musa ibn Ja'far. Or maybe Imam al-Ridha. A man comes to him and he says to him that... Um, uh, 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 give me a hadith. So he says, okay, come back tomorrow and ask me for the hadith. He says, no, I cannot leave. Even if it's now, it's late at night, you have to give me the hadith now. He says, why now? Go back, come tomorrow. He says, what if I don't live until tomorrow? What if I die tonight? I know you have hadith from the Ahlul Bayt, so hadithni bi hadith. Give me the hadith. He says, Allahi, I have never come across people who are so eager for hadith like you. But let me tell you, I went after Imam al-Sadiq had left Kufa to Kufa and there I found 900 ulama fuqaha in Kufa all saying, Haddathani Ja'far ibn Muhammad al-Sadiq. Imam al-Sadiq gave me a hadith. Look at the impact of this alim. Look at the impact of Imam al-Sadiq and what did the Imam do? The Imam didn't speak of the past. The Imam didn't waste time. The Imam spoke of current events. He solved the problems of the Muslims then. There was a movement by the name of Az-Zanadiqa. Zanadiqa were the atheists and the agnostics. They debated Imam al-Sadiq where? Where do you think they debated him? First of all, the fact that the Imam spoke to them. He gave them the chance to speak. He answered their questions. Today, even in our school of thought, even in the Shi'i school of thought, if anybody says things that we do not approve of, or the scholars do not approve of, they, they are, they are uh, scrutinized. They're humiliated. They're attacked. Instead of saying we have a difference of opinion. Imam al-Sadiq, yes, he made it known that he has a difference of opinion with Abu Hanifa. He made it known. This was not a secret. In many occasions he debated him, but he didn't disrespect him. Similarly, he spoke to the Zanadiq, this movement, where sometimes in Masjid al-Haram he debated them. And he debated them. And that is why a scholar of the Ahl al-Bayt does not disrespect others. He debates them. He makes it known that he has a differences of opinion. He does not let bid'ah take place in our community, in our society, but in a respectful way, in a scholarly way, in a uh, in, in a peaceful manner. So he debated them. And he also, the Imam also speaks, spoke of many misconceptions about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Whether Allah was a physical existence, whether Allah had, you know, hands and a feet, whether Allah sat on a mule and came back, came down from heaven to earth every... The Imam spoke of such such things. The Imam spoke of the asma, uh, the, 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 uh, Purity of the of the Prophet and the Imams. The Imam spoke of tafsir and many, many very important things that were relevant in that time. 
and he developed the greatest of scholars. Amongst them is Jabir ibn, Jabir ibn Hayyan. Today, chemistry is indebted to him and in, and, and, and in return indebted to Imam al-Sadiq. Hisham ibn, uh, ibn Hakam and many, many other companions of Imam al-Sadiq Unfortunately, our time is up, brothers and sisters. Remember the time in which Imam al-Sadiq's home was attacked Fire was led inside the house of Imam al-Sadiq. Imam al-Sadiq was sitting and crying when they asked him, Ya ibn Rasulullah, why is it that you're crying? Is it because they burned down your house? Is it because of your children? He said, no, I am crying because I was reminded of my grandfather, Imam al-Husayn, and how when he died, they ransacked his tents and they burned down his tents. May Allah send his salutations, his salawat and his rahmah and his salam onto the soul of Al-Imam Ja'far ibn Muhammad al-Sadiq. Assalamu alayka ya ibn Rasulillahi wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. May Allah bless you all brothers and sisters and until next time, Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.